Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joel, Joel, chapter number 3, Daniel, and chapter 1 will be there in the message as well. Daniel 1 is a very familiar verse, but we'll begin in Joel, chapter number 3, Joel, chapter number 3. This is a really important week for our church. The summer is an important time for our church. Last week was a, a... just a huge week for us as a ministry and scores and scores of children coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It was just a beautiful thing to see. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of children. Um, and, and then in the preaching time, for them to settle in and listen to the Word of God and respond. And I'm getting more testimonies all the time. I've gotten... T- several uh, numbers and numbers of testimonies, but little children go into the soul winning room and they got tears in their eyes already and start witness to them and they're just weeping under conviction. It's so beautiful. It's wonderful. But my, the thing, that as much as that rejoices my heart and, and there's nothing greater than a soul being saved. But I'll be honest with you, what rejoices my heart is that, is, is that army of workers the army of workers and after people and the little boy got baptized this morning met at a park thank you thank you all Greg you and your family and just uh, it's just so encouraging I don't know when Jesus is coming back but I believe he's coming back soon and I don't think we need to do less for the Lord I think we need to do more for the Lord amen and um I think this week is such a crucial week for us as a ministry because it's decision time. It's decision time. And you know, our young people know it. They know it. And uh, I want to try to prepare hearts for that. In Joel chapter 3, just remain seated if you would. Verse 14 says, Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near, in the valley of decision. Now, the context of this verse is really has to do with a verdict that's about to be passed. A decision is being made for these multitudes, and they're waiting to see what their destiny is going to be. This week's an important week for us as a ministry, and especially for our youth. And... Um, it's decision time. And destinies will be changed as a result of what happens in the hearts of the youth this week and their response to it. Heavenly Father, as we think about this for a few minutes tonight, the importance of the decisions that we make, how they literally alter the course of our lives. Sometimes, Lord, we What seems to be such a small decision can have lasting implications and affect many to come, generations to come. So bring a certain sobriety to our minds and hearts tonight as we consider this verse speaks of the valley of decision. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was the summer of 1985. I don't know if I ever really thought about this, but it's actually almost... Uh, it was just within, it was actually early fall 
when I went to the camp there in 1985 and made a decision to surrender my life to the Lord. And it would have been almost 10 years, 10 years and in, in, in a, a month or so, uh, that God brought us here. <laughs> uh, we went in the fall, actually. It was a, a, we started our school year, so it would have been late August, and we would go to camp as the first week of school. And, uh, and, uh, and that was where God got a hold of my heart there uh, at the Wilds Christian Camp and Conference Center. And Brother Rand Humble preached on that night, and I surrendered myself to the Lord. And about a year and a month later, I was here in Ashborough. And if I had not made that decision in 1985, I wouldn't have had the opportunity of making the decision in 1995 to say, yes, I believe God wants us to come and serve here. And so I didn't know, I, I knew that it was an important decision then at that time, but I didn't know how that it would alter the course of my life. Some of you will know this uh, individual because you've heard his testimony, uh, but uh, I'm thinking of a man who's my age, I'll, I'll be 53 this summer, and uh, that's coming up pretty soon, by the way, you might want to make a note of that, but um, <clears throat> anyway, I'll be 53 this summer. And uh, uh, is, a, is a, a dear man whom I, whom I love, consider him a dear friend, and, and I've been his pastor at seasons in his life, and he would, and he would still consider me his pastor, he sees me a call him preacher. But same age as I, same summer, 1985, same age, we're both 15. And uh, his way had been paid to go to the camp, and when it t- came time to get on the camp bus... The camp bus came down the street to pick him up and a few others to get on the bus to go to camp. And he jumped on his bike and he rode to the end of the street and hid so he wouldn't have to get on the camp bus. And the bus left without him and he didn't go. That same week was the week that he tried dope for the first time. Last time I saw him was just within the last six months. And he told me what he's told me many, many times. I've, I've, been, I've been so long. I hadn't had, any, I hadn't had anything for... It don't matter what... They, you know what I mean. I hadn't had anything for three months. And it's been that way for years. This gentleman right here, this gentleman right here, both make crucial decisions at a camp, much like our kids will get to enjoy this week. And were it not for those decisions... He wouldn't be sitting there, and he wouldn't be sitting there. And thank God, when they were in the valley of decision, they decided for Christ. Amen. In Daniel chapter 1, this famous decision time for Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, famous verse, verse number 8. Daniel's been transported. He's been found to be a favorable young man and one that could be trained in, uh, the, uh, to, to serve the king. And uh, they uh, they want to take away his Jewish heritage and make him uh, uh, more like a Chaldean. And so they change his name and they train him, put him in training, put him in school. And uh, they give him a special diet. But the problem is uh, it was against his convictions and what he knew was right. And so the Bible says in verse number 8 of Daniel 1, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested 
of the prince of the eunuchs, that he might not defile himself. Had that young man, Daniel was probably uh, around uh, 20 years of age, maybe early 20s. If that 20-something young man had not made that decision, we wouldn't have the book of Daniel tonight. We wouldn't have the book of Daniel in our Bible. That young man, humanly speaking, if that young man had not made that decision. The Bible said that Daniel purposed in his heart. He resolved. He made up his mind. He made up his mind. Now, young people, listen to me carefully. When it's decision, take making time, make a decision. Make a decision. Uh, no decision is a decision, and indecision will get you killed. How many times have you and I have been down the road saying, Don't do it, little squirrel. Don't do it, little squirrel. Don't do it, little squirrel. <laughs> you should have stuck with your decision, little squirrel. They're the most indecisive creatures ever. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I don't know why they love asphalt so much. They love asphalt. But Daniel made up his mind. He resolved. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Notice that it said this. He purposed in his heart. In his mind, perhaps this conviction could have been dismissed as trivial. In his mind, maybe he could have justified, well, I'm away from home. Uh, really, really, nobody else is going to know. So many other people are doing this anyway. In his mind, he might have dismissed it as trivial, maybe even maybe even as divisive. I'm going to cause trouble, unnecessary. And probably I'm, I'm not back home and I'm not in the family religion, so it doesn't really apply to me here, etc., etc., But in his heart, he knew better. And Daniel purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. This was not something that Daniel instructed others to do or even implied that they should do. But he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. It was something he decided within himself, for himself. Now, I happen to think that Daniel's friends were influenced by his decisions because I've seen it over and over in my life and I've seen it in many others' lives that you have. When somebody has the courage to make a decision and do the right thing for Jesus Christ, inevitably others will rally and say, I've been wanting to do that myself. And young people, listen, listen. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if God used you as a catalyst to bring revival to your youth group? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if God used you to be a catalyst to bring others to Jesus Christ? Perhaps when Daniel's friends saw his conviction, they were inspired to do the same. For they did, in fact, join him. He decided for himself. This week is not a time... Sometimes we have testimony time. Sometimes we have testimony. We go to a meeting or something. Ride on the bus and come home. We take testimony time. And sometimes testimony time. I'm not trying to be unkind young people. Sometimes testimony time turns into giggle time. I'm not trying to be ugly. But sometimes some of you can't get serious. It's time to get serious with the Lord. And we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a nutty time, crazy time. 
What time is it? Crazy time. We're going to have a crazy time. Right? But when it's time to get serious, it's time to get serious. Daniel purposed in his heart he would not devile himself. That's not a time to get didactic. Decision time is not a time for you to decide what the youth group ought to do. It's time for you to decide what you ought to do. It's not a time for you to tell all your peers what they ought to do. It's time for some individual to say, I don't know what anybody else is going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make my decision for Christ. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. It's interesting, this dietary law would become Daniel's sticking point. There were many things around him with which he was not comfortable, but this line he would not cross. How many would have counted this an honor, but Daniel knew this privilege of being trained to serve in the king's court came only at the price of compromise. But Daniel said, I won't compromise. Many times the invitations to the world's education system and invitations to the world's success route, if you will. Are we, we too often, we, as God's people, we get, we get giddy over that. Oh, wow, we'll be able to have a great opportunity. I've told you my stories many times over these years, but I will not forget. I was right up there in Randleman, large home and established family. And uh, mom was a daughter of a pastor. And uh, I had uh, met them knocking on doors, and they began to come. The family came, and the daughter received Christ, and the son received Christ. And uh, she's in the 10th grade, and she was uh, finishing up the 10th grade, and she received an opportunity to get a scholarship to the North Carolina School of Arts and Science. I think that's correct, math and science perhaps. Please forgive the detail. But she got a scholarship. She's still in high school, full-ride scholarship, and it meant college afterwards. And, uh, but she would have to board She'd have to go to Raleigh, I believe it was, and she'd have to board there. And here this family's growing in the Lord, children receive Christ. And I thought, what in the world? That 15-year-old does not need to be sent to a dorm. 15-year-old needs to be home with mama and daddy and be in church every Sunday. And I felt it very strong in my spirit, and I went to their home, and I said, uh, they told me about it. They were so proud of it. They are so honored. And, uh, and, and, it, and it was an honor in the fact that she worked hard and she made excellent grades. And she was smart as a whip, no doubt about it. And uh, and I in my spirit, my my spirit was heavy. And I don't think I've ever done anything quite like this before. But on that occasion, I felt it so strongly in that home. I remember they here they had the piece of paper, the invitation letter, so forth, and they were excited. And I guess maybe they thought I was going to be excited. I don't know. But I I said uh, I, I called a man's name and I said, "Sir, please." And his wife I said, "Please, would you reconsider this?" I said, uh, y- y'all need to be in church together. And the children, need, they need your influence. Your daughter needs your influence. And she's going to be in a dorm. You don't know who roommates are going to be. You don't know who her teachers are going to be. You don't know what influences she's going to be exposed to. Please, please, would you reconsider this? They said, Pastor, this is such a great opportunity. Man, this is one in a million opportunity. What are you? They were shocked that I would challenge their decision. 
But I did. And I felt so strongly about it. I remember getting on my knees. There's a coffee table there at the couch. I'm sitting across the coffee table. I remember getting on my knees in their home. And I looked at them very sincerely. I said, please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Now, I don't know what people think about that. And I can't explain sometimes. I don't know I don't know how to explain it to you. But I just knew in my spirit, I felt it in my spirit, this is not a good thing and no good is going to come out of it. And nothing good did come out of it. For the last, those last two years of high school, she became a lesbian. Those last two years of high school, she got involved in Satan worship. I remember when we put her little brother on the camp bus to go to junior camp, and Dad was lingering in the parking lot. And, uh, and I, most all the parents were gone, and I saw him lingering. I thought, well, he must be wanting to talk to me. And I walked up to him and said, you need something? He said, Pastor, yeah. And he showed me a letter. And he said, we had no idea what our daughter was involved in. Mom was just going to help her get her clothes clean. She got home uh, from her semester and going to help her clean her clothes, wash her clothes. And we found this in her luggage. We had no idea what she was involved in. Young people, let me tell you something. It's decision time. And your decisions will affect your lives and not your life, but the lives of others. Daniel's decision altered the course of his life, but it also altered the course of a nation. I'm thinking of another young person that had a very similar spirit. There's been, don't take this the wrong way, but sometimes you can sense God has his hand on a young person. I felt that way about Mr. Cook. You felt that way about Mr. Cook when he was a young man. Many of us sat where his leaders then. We don't feel that way now, but anyway, we did. But there was a certain tenderness and a yieldedness in his life. And I remember a girl rode our buses. She was so faithful, came so very faithfully. And, and she was coming to that place, and it was decision time. And uh, she was supposed to go to camp, and, and I remember going to the house. And, uh, and Dad said, well, you know what? We, actually, we're going to do something a little different. I said, what do you mean? You're going to camp, right? Uh, well, yeah, you know, she plays the clarinet at school, and they have a band camp, and they schedule the band camp at the same time. I said, you know, well, hey, listen, you can still play the clarinet. You don't have to go to the band camp and play the clarinet. You can still play the clarinet. Come to camp with us. And she made the uh, decision to go to band camp, and that led to getting out of church and going a whole different direction in her life. Young people, you're going to have decisions you're going to have to make, and you're going to have to take a stand. And it's going to define your life. Dr. Frank Garlock and his son-in-law, Ron Hamilton, both went to heaven in the last few months. Dr. Garlock started Majesty Music the, uh, that so profoundly impacted uh, fundamental uh, churches around the nation and literally around the world. Early, early on in Dr. Garlock's ministry, he was invited at the last minute to go and speak at a conference 2,000 people had gathered at this conference. And uh, when, when, when God began to... I, nobody's, nobody's ever, nobody's ever uh, been able to... That I know of. I, I don't know of anyone else who's been able to articulate uh, good music and the qual- what good music is and how uh, uh, the spiritual aspect, emotional aspect, all the aspects of music, what good music is, like Dr. Frank Garlock. And those of you that are in music ministry you ought to read his stuff. And I've, I've read his stuff and I've studied his material. And, uh, and, uh, but early on in his ministry, he was invited at the last minute to be to pinch hit at a great conference. There's 2,000 people gathered at the conference. The speaker that was to be in front of him, that was to be in that place that was scheduled to come, 
It was when the Christian rock was just coming on the scene in America. And he was a nationally known uh, preacher. And, uh, and he, was, uh, he was invited to speak. It's Atlanta, Georgia, a large convention in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, at the last minute, that nationally known speaker canceled. Well, the nationally known speaker that was coming to the convention was bringing with him a Christian rock group. And that was a relatively new idea for, these, for fundamental Christianity. And so uh, he was to come, and the Christian rock group was to come with him. At the last minute, for whatever reason, he canceled. And so the organizer of the meeting called Dr. Garlock and said, Dr. Garlock, will you come, and will you replace the speaker? Will you speak uh, on the subject uh, of music? And so he agreed to come. When he was called to step up to the podium and introduced that he was going to speak on the subject of rock music, gathering of 2,000 people. And they announced he was, going to, he was going to speak on the subject of rock music. When they announced him, 1,000 out of the 2,000 people stood up and walked down the building. Over the next hour and a half to two hours, he spoke on the subject just as he had planned, the dangers of rock music. And the whole time that he was speaking... People were getting up and walking out. Until in the end, there were about 500 people left. When he gave the invitation, 60 people came forward to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And that young man took a stand to fight the dirty rock music. And by the way, that dirty rock music is invading every corner of our society. The Bible says, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which you have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Young people, it's decision time. Who does your life belong to? Who does your body belong to? Who does your eyes, your hands belong to? Uh, Brother Hampson, give me your hand for just a moment. Now, what did he just do? He yielded his hand to me. (laughs) He resisted just then. He quenched the spirit. (laughs) He yielded his hand to me. The Bible said we're supposed to yield our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, and that it is our reasonable service. It's my job to yield my eyes, my hands, my feet, my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this little story. It's an old story. A fellow was on a train traveling, and men uh, pulled out a pack of cards and, and uh, said, Would you like to play cards? And all the men around the table said, I like to play cards. The man said, Yeah, I like to play cards. And they shuffled the cards out there. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, then it came time to play the cards, and the man just sat there and looking at his cards, looking at the table. And the man said, Aren't you going to play? I thought you said you won't play cards. He said, oh, I would like to play cards. He said, why don't you play cards with him? Why don't you pick up your cards? He said, I can't, I don't have any hands. man said, oh, my son, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were an amputee. He said, I'm not, I don't, I'm not an amputee. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you see, I gave my hands to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're yielded to him. And he, he don't want me to play cards with my hands. Now, I'd like to. My flesh would like to. But I can't play cards. Why? Those hands are not ours. Elvis Presley died at age 42 in his own vomit. Fell off a toilet and died in his own vomit. The king of rock and roll, so-called. 
when he was a boy in Tupelo, Mississippi, he sang gospel songs in church. Now, you may love him, but he wasted his life. He wasted his life. Buddy Holly got his start singing in church as a teenager in high school. He got up with some of the boys in high school and they put them on the radio. And they got a little popularity. And they had a chance to travel some. Buddy Holly surrendered his life in Lubbock, Texas, at Tabernacle Baptist Church. He got saved there and he surrendered his life to missions as a teenage boy. He had a buddy who surrendered his life at the same time they were friends. His buddy would later go on the mission field and serve the Lord for a lifetime in Canada. When Buddy Holly became popular, his mom said, Now, Buddy, you gave your life to Christ. You surrendered to missions. He said, Mom, I can make so much money doing this. I won't need to raise support. He said, I got a plan. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play my music for three years. And when I get done, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to obey my call and do God's will and and go to the mission field. But if you know the story, Buddy Holly never made it to Michigan because he died in a plane wreck before those three years were over. They told John Bunyan, they put him in prison. They put him in the Bedford jail. And they said, John Bunyan, you quit preaching on the street. John Bunyan had a little blind daughter and his blind daughter came and they told the family, said, little girl, if your dad will quit preaching on the street, we'll let him come home. He don't have to stay in jail. And she went to the jailhouse and she said, daddy, daddy, they said, the men said you can go home and you don't have to stay in jail. You can come home with us. They just said you can't preach on the street. And John Bunyan looked at his little blind daughter. He said, sweetheart, if they let daddy out of jail today, I'll be preaching on the streets tomorrow. And he kept that commitment. And he stayed in prison by the will of God and gave to humankind, the greatest book next to the Bible that's ever been written, Pilgrim's Progress. In 1924, Eric Liddell was given the honor of running the 100 meters in the Olympics. But when he found out it was scheduled for Sunday, he refused to run. He said, that's the Lord's day. It's the day of rest. I can't run a race on Sunday. Oh, for the conviction like that again. The press began to criticize him. His nation criticized him. He was called a traitor. But instead of running the 100 meters, they put him in a race he had not trained for. The 400 meter race, which was later that week. He won the 400 meter race, broke the world record. 47.7 seconds at the time was a world record. Despite the fact he was not even expected to place. In 1925, he went to China as a missionary. He died war broke out. He was in prison with other missionaries. And he died. But he did the will of God for his life. He did the will of God for his life. Frances Havergal had a life of means. She sang. She was paid to sing. She was quite popular. The old Methodist, the shouting Methodist, the hard preaching, hard hitting shouting Methodist of yesteryear. Preached and a meeting came to town. Frances Havergal heard of it and she attended. God began to get a hold of her heart and she became convicted. It was decision time for Frances Havergal. She decided that she was going to give up her life of ease and wealth and popularity and serve only Christ. And she did that. Her life would burn out for Christ at age 42. But not until after she wrote the famous words, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. 
Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. The man that's going to preach for us on Wednesday night and is going to be preaching to our kids all week came to the valley of decision, young people. As a 20-something-year-old young man, his father, an unbeliever, a wealthy man, offered him a million dollars a year for five years if he'd just hit a pause button on his Bible college training, come work for dad. At the end of those five years, he said, son, you'll have enough money. You won't have to work. You can go where you want to do mission work. You want to, whatever you want to do, just come work for dad for five years. He had met his dad up in a high-rise office overlooking the Gold Coast of North Chicago, there on Michigan Avenue. He offered him in that visit a Cadillac Escalade and a BMW and a million-dollar-a-year salary for five years. And that 27-year-old young man said, Dad, I love you, but God has called me. And I made a decision that I was going to do the will of God for my life. And I have to say no. When he walked out the office, his dad said to him, Son, you walk out those doors, you walk out of my life. By the grace of God, his dad didn't keep that commitment. That's what he told him. He went down, got back in his little clunker car, went back to the Bible college campus. Because he made that decision by the grace of God, he'll be influencing your lives this week. The great men that did great works for God had to make their decision for Christ. At age 25, C.T. Studd received an inheritance of 29,000 pounds worth about $5 million today. He gave, uh, gave 5,000 pounds to George Mueller and his work with the orphans. He gave 5,000 pounds to Moody Bible Institute. 5,000 pounds to work by Brother George Holland. 5,000 pounds to Salvation Army. After he went to China, he met Priscilla Stewart. I love the story of Priscilla Stewart. The investments that his father had made after he had become engaged to Priscilla Stewart, he found out that he had... Another 500 pounds, about $100,000. He said, my goodness, I didn't know I had that. How'd you like to get a letter like that? <laughs> Here's this 20-something young man. He gave to be married to be a missionary. Priscilla surrendered to be a missionary. He said, I got a wedding present for you. He said, I got a nest egg. I didn't even know I had it. He said, I got five, 500 pounds and $100,000 to be tucked back when we need it. And Priscilla Stewart looked at her husband-to-be. And she said, C.T., If God's called us to live a life of faith, you know we can't keep that. All right. And they gave the last 500 pounds away. No man can serve two masters. For you you will either hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. No man can serve two masters. Young people, listen to me. You cannot serve your own desires and God's desires. You cannot serve your own will and God's will. To serve God, to do God's will, requires that you give up your own will. 
You give up your own desires. You give up your own dreams. You give up your own aspirations. And you put your life on the altar. And you say, God, I come to you a living sacrifice. Take my life. And let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And I got news for you, young people. Listen, I don't know God's will for your life, but I know the decisions that will be made in the next five to six days can and will alter the course of your life by the grace of God. The best choice and the most wonderful choice, the greatest choice you'll ever make is to give up your own will, give up your own plans, give up your own life and say, let my life be consecrated to God and to His perfect will. The smallest misstep The smallest diversion, the smallest turn from the will of God makes a huge difference down the road. That laser light represents the will of God and the destiny of my life. I can turn just a few degrees from where I'm standing about 12 inches. But you can see the visual illustration of the change it makes in my future. Young people, it may not seem like a big decision for you, but the smallest decisions can absolutely alter the course of your life. Let's stand together.